Episode 489, Can You Overcome Your Negative Patterns in Just 21 Days? With Thais Gibson. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of the number one men's development podcast that is now a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics. Can you overcome And it is your my mission to just share 21 the real days. stories, the useful find stuff, out. the juicy Thais stuff, Gibson. and the reality of what it takes to thrive do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. If you've ever thought or dreamed or wondered what it would be like to do a TEDx talk, you can get this completely free 45 minute training masterclass on how to land your TEDx talk in 90 days or less without wasting your time on the wrong opportunities. That training is brand new for 2021. You can jump over there, talkaccelerator.com forward slash masterclass. That's talk. X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-O-R.com. It really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. Amplify your message and amplify your mission. All links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes at ayalpha.com. Get to the podcast. Okay, enjoy the show. Right, this week we're going to be talking about attachment theory and how our childhood affects our adult life. We have Thais Gibson on the line. She is an expert in the field of integrated attachment theory and is changing people's lives around the world. She's also the founder of Personal Development School. Excited, there's a lot we can dig into today. She's from Toronto, Canada. Thais, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Yes, very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So that was quite a brief introduction by me. Is there anything you'd like to add or highlight? What are you all about at the moment? I mean, all about personal development for a very long time. It, I would definitely say it's a very personal journey for me. Um, I was an athlete growing up and I actually struggled with opiate addiction after a knee surgery at, at 14 years old. Um, basically, yeah. yeah, better part of seven years, I struggled through that and um, really learned about subconscious reprogramming. And, you know, it was so one of the like highlights of that experience for me, although there were many more lowlights and highlights, um, was me learning that this this battle or war I was fighting every single day was the battle between my conscious and subconscious, the battle between my conscious mind saying, that's it. We're going to get sober. This is the last time. And then every day my subconscious mind repeating the same mistakes, going back into the same places. And you know, when I went through that journey at a really young age, one of the biggest things it showed me was like, Oh, I'm weak. I'm helpless. I can't, I can't overcome this. I try so hard every day and I keep failing. And, you know, we give, those experiences or those things that we can't seem to create change around such painful meaning about ourselves. And that becomes part of the narrative or our story about who we are. And when I realized, oh no, that's my conscious mind versus my subconscious mind. And my subconscious mind literally will always overpower and outwill my conscious mind. The conscious mind can't beat out the subconscious mind. It can only reprogram. And when I figured that out and then started learning about all these different sort of subconscious hacks, that was like such an amazing part of my journey. And that's definitely something we can touch on here today as well is sort of how to do that. And that was really what helped me get sober after going to rehab, that not working, AA wow. meetings, NA how, meetings. Yeah, I was going to say, so yeah. 14 when it kind of started to kick off, how long did that go on for? Really? The better part of seven years. Yeah. Whoa, and it was like a, a, a almost daily usage thing. Like, I mean, obviously there's times where you just can't get your hands on stuff and, and whatnot, but um, yeah, like really, really intense battle for me. Um, and lucky to have gone through that at a young age because I, I feel like it sort of gave me on the other side, like all these tools. So, so it, it's what led me to go back. I, I ended up completing a master's degree. I had a very tough period of time first. And then I say in that seven year period where you kind of like on the outside, was you, was you functioning? Were you still like I'm doing functioning. all the things that you're expected to kind of generally achieve between 14 to 20? 
Uh, yes and no. I mean, I was very high functioning um, and I sort of am a very like determined person, but like I dropped out of school twice, went back again, you know, there was stuff where it was like, I was just keeping things together by a thread, got arrested a couple times um, for underage drinking, nothing really too crazy or anything, but um, that was just going hand in hand with like being an addict and using yeah. other things. Um, and so, you know, got in some trouble, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I would say that like my life looked great from the outside. It looked okay. I still yeah. I was playing soccer in university um but i was like you know very so the, knee, the knee injury kind of recovered and you got back to you know competing but yeah. the, but they're obviously the drug side of stuff so <laughs> how it yeah how it really started is like i i had a knee injury i was about to turn 15 it was before my scouting year I had a whole bunch of childhood trauma, which is what brought me into like attachment theory and stuff too. Of course, like you have no idea how childhood trauma impacts you. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm strong. I'm tough, whatever. And then I, I have this knee surgery and I'm like, oh, these painkillers, like they sure make life easier. And I had a girl who was a year older than me say to me, um, yeah, well, they're also performance enhancers and they also help wow. you not eat so much because then, you know, and, and part of what, why I was really good at soccer was because I was really fast and I could run forever. So one of my big fears when I had this surgery was like, oh, I'm going to lose like my fitness and my speed and then I'm not going to get a scholarship and I'm not going to get out of my home away from the trauma. And so that was like this whole thing. So it kind of gave me this like like motive in a way to be like, oh yeah, like I'll keep using these, you know? And, and, and so then it sort of took it like, you know, into a turn for the worst. And before I knew it, I was like, I could not stop. Like I would write journal like letters to myself in the evening, like avoid the girl in the hallway who I get them from. And I'm going to walk this way and you know, all these things. And every day, like repeat the same mistakes, repeat the same mistakes. And that's where like, it was such a personal journey for me as I learned about the subconscious mind. And that was my friggin' like meal ticket out. So when I got sober, then I put all my energy into like doing life and, and creating all these things and, and did a master's degree and then 13 different certifications and like cognitive behavior therapy, neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, like all that stuff. Um, so very grateful at this point, but um, yeah, tough battle. I think addiction is one of the hardest things people can go through, honestly. So, yeah. And you wrote, obviously you wrote the book on uh, attachment theory, a guide to strengthening relationships, strengthening relationships in your life. And we're going to talk, talk about that childhood trauma. So anyone who's listening into this and maybe it's, it's, it's not going as well as it could do, or they just keep repeating the same mistakes. And maybe they did have some childhood trauma. What I just want again, this is not my area of expertise at all. So I wanted to kind of hand it over. What what would you say to that person? What are some some common things and some maybe some approaches to deal with that? Yeah. So I think we all go through some form of trauma. And I think we get this like sort of funny idea about trauma. Like trauma has to be that you got in a car accident and somebody died, or trauma has to be, but really trauma is basically anything that you couldn't properly emotionally process. And so what the mind does is anything that's scary and makes us feel helpless because we're very survival oriented. Instead, the mind holds on to that trauma and it gives it meaning. And, you know, we'd rather, because our mind's seeking certainty to know that, okay, we're safe. So we would rather prioritize going through a painful event and being like, oh, that thing happened to me. And it's because I'm worthless and unlovable and something's wrong with me. I'm like defective at my core. We'd rather say that than go, I don't know why that happened. And I have no sense of certainty. So the subconscious mind is like a coping mechanism, always gives things meaning, but that meaning then becomes the story of ourselves, right? That meaning becomes, oh, I'm the worthless, not good enough, et cetera, person. And then what's really interesting from that is that these these pieces of meaning become our belief structure about ourselves to a certain degree and beliefs create thought patterns. So if I have this big belief, for example, from a traumatic event or traumatic events that I am not good enough, which, you know, many people go through something like that at some period of time, then we start thinking these thoughts throughout the day on autopilot. These are our subconscious thoughts, not when we're actually creating thoughts and intentionally thinking, but these subconscious thoughts. And this is like 
I'm not smart enough. I'm not interesting enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not all the, I'm not fill in the blank enough as an extension yeah. of that belief. Then those thought patterns create emotions because how do you feel when you're thinking like that? Like, let's say you're going to go to a social event, thinking those thoughts, you feel anxious, you feel stressed, you feel, and then your emotions are made up of neurochemical reactions. So now there's my recipe or a good portion of my recipe to create a chemical imbalance because if I have roughly 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day, which is a study done at the University of Southern California's Neuroimaging Institute, then I have all these thoughts throughout the day creating all these little neurochemical cocktails throughout the day. And if those are working in my favor, then great. I have yeah, all these thoughts that are like serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. I feel amazing. And if they're not, then I have a chemical imbalance for a whole bunch of different reasons. And so we all go through forms of trauma. Most of it starts in our home in, in different, you know, beliefs we sort of extract about ourselves because of events we're exposed to. Obviously we have neuroplasticity. This stuff changes throughout the course of our lifetime based on what we're repeatedly exposed to. But if we have these painful beliefs about ourselves that then create thoughts and emotions, then we have this chemical imbalance. And then the last big kicker here is that from that place, neuroscience has proven that every single decision we make is based on emotions. So people are like, no, I'm a logical, rational thinker calling BS because neuroscience tells us otherwise, which means if you're not in control of the story of yourself, you're not in control of your actions. And that's a really good sort of reflection point for like, oh, then take the painkiller, you know, oh, I'm feeling emotional pain all day. Okay. And then emotionally that choice becomes to take the painkiller. So until we really get control of that whole equation of what's happening within us at a subconscious level, we don't have the same power over our lives that we would like to. So part of the whole theory here is how to find out what your patterns are and then do reprogramming work. And, and I've sort of overlapped it with attachment styles because the core wounds and the beliefs we have about ourselves tend to fit into specific categories. Okay. Well, let's talk about attachment styles definitely so we have four major attachment styles um one is secure this is what we're looking for this one has the least amount of core wounds and painful experiences they usually get really good um nurturing and consistency and safety in childhood they can have specific things that are happening but i like to focus on the major three attachment styles that are insecure so one is anxious preoccupied this is the person in like their adult life that you see being the needy and clingy person in relationships. It can be the people pleaser at work. It can be the person who's always trying to cling to somebody and calling over and over again in a romantic relationship. It can be the friend that gets very sensitive if they don't feel included 100% of the time. They have specific core wounds. They usually in childhood went through things feeling like, oh, you know, mom and dad are abandoning me. There's some kind of inconsistency. It can be that mom's really warm, dad's cold. It can be that they both are very loving, but they work a lot. And what those dynamics create is this fear of abandonment all the time for that person. So they're very sensitive and have these big narratives about themselves that are like, I am abandoned. I will be alone. I am not good enough. I will be rejected. I will be excluded. I am disliked. And those are big parts of the story they tell about themselves, which leads them. If I carry this, these beliefs in myself all day, if I'm that person, let's pretend, then I'm going around all day trying to hold on to people, trying to get approval or acknowledgement or reinforcement or people please. And all of that just creates further self-abandonment, which keeps that whole cycle alive. So that's one. Mm -hmm. Then we have our, our dismissive avoidant, which is sort of like the other end of the spectrum. And this individual usually grows up with some kind of emotional neglect. So this can be that mom and dad were very physically available, like food's on the table, there's order and structure, but they're not emotionally nurturing. Hey, how are you? How are you feeling? Yeah. Oh, you're crying? That you're weak, something's wrong with you, and they kind of shame emotion or overexpression of emotion, or they don't really know how to hold space for it. Um, this can also be overt neglect if a child's just truly neglected. But basically the dismissive avoidant 
they grow up to be the person who doesn't want to get too close to people. They're the person who doesn't really share too much in, in, you know, in the workplace. They don't like to really commit to relationships. They don't like to be too vulnerable. Obviously what's funny is the anxious and dismissive often end up in relationships together where one's <laughs> coming close to the other's yeah. pulling away. Um, but, but that's that individual and their big core wounds are, and this is the biggest one by far that really, um, drives their their inner world is um, something's wrong with me. They carry a lot of shame. And part of this is because if you're a child, we're naturally wired for emotional attunement. We really need that closeness. And if you have parents or caregivers who are like not providing that to you as a child, the child mind can't cognitively go, oh, mom and dad are emotionally unavailable. So the child <laughs> mind goes, I'm not getting these needs met. So there must be something wrong with me. I must be defective. And so they get afraid to open up and be seen and share themselves. And they get very easily like hurt by criticism, very, you know, criticism is very sensitive for them. They also carry a little bit of the belief, I'm not good enough, but they believe that like vulnerability makes me weak, vulnerability makes me foolish or embarrassing. Um, I am unsafe around people and emotionally expressing myself. And that's a big part of their programming. And so they live their lives according to all those big belief patterns and make decisions and feel and think accordingly. And then our very last one is the fearful avoidant. And this is the individual, this is usually somebody who goes through a little bit, um, substantially more trauma in childhood. Um, and usually a lot of the things they're exposed to are, feel, are, are like a lot of incongruencies. So let's just say, for example, mom or dad are an alcoholic. So it's like this child is like, okay, sometimes mom's nice. Sometimes mom's really scary. Sometimes mom's drinking and I can't connect with her. Sometimes mom's drinking, she's angry. Sometimes mom's drinking and she's really loving. And so there's no consistency. So this child really grows up to become super hypervigilant, like always reading between the lines, always trying to guess patterns of behavior. Their big beliefs are centered around, I can't trust because usually that trust is broken at a young age from their caregivers. It could be that there's lots of fighting in the home, volatility, that kind of stuff too. But whatever creates like this big sort of smashing essentially of like the trust baseline that we all have in our relationships. So this individual grows up and they feel like I can't trust. I am unsafe around people. They often feel trapped, helpless, or powerless as big core wounds. They often feel unworthy because they usually never got love for like who they were because the parents and caregivers were usually focused on like their own issues and challenges. So they only got love if they gave, if they did something, if they mm -hmm. showed up a certain way, if they helped mom when she's drinking, if they helped dad when he's drugging, whatever it might be. So they also believe like I have to earn my worth in the world and they can be very high achievers sometimes because of this. Yep. Um, but they can also be very volatile in their own relationships until, until they do that healing. So those are sort of our major three categories and it's cool because it gives you sort of like a framework. Sorry about that. It gives you, <laughs> I think the wind is open somewhere. It gives you um, these, these major three categories for like what to work on healing and breaking through and, and sort of working on reprogramming. This episode is sponsored by the Talk Accelerator. Increase your influence, income, and impact. Get this completely free training masterclass on how to become a TEDx speaker. You can jump over talkxcelerator.com forward slash masterclass. Really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. If, I mean, for a show like this as well, I'm sure people can kind of identify more to one to the other. Um, in terms of strengthening relationships in life, 
it sounds like it's going to be such an individual thing, not just with you, but also with the people, the key people in your life and, you know, what their, um, you know, issues are or what their kind of background is. I mean, is it possible to talk about certain strategies on a show like this or is it just so specific and there's so many variables and I mean, for someone listening, it can oh, yeah, be yeah. Nice, but, you know, strengthening. Yeah. So, so very easy. Um, so once you have sort of these ideas of your core wounds, I mean, there's so many different reprogramming tools you can use, but like a really good baseline starter. And this is like a game changer. If anybody wants to work on any belief, right? So step one is like identify which core wounds really show up for you and then write those down. Cause we just listed a bunch and gave some scenarios and ideas like, Oh yeah, I noticed that I feel shame really easily. And I think something's wrong with me or yeah, not good enough or fear of rejection comes up for me all the time. So put that down. Step two, we're going to use auto-suggestion. So auto-suggestion is like a really great reprogramming tool. Basically what you're doing is a couple different steps. So the subconscious mind speaks in emotion and imagery. It does not speak English. It does not speak in language. So it's funny because sometimes people will use affirmations, but like affirmations are kind of neutral. Like they don't really do a whole lot because the subconscious can't really like hear them. Um, so, so what we want to do is we want to take that belief in language. So I am not good enough. Let's pretend. We want to reframe it to the opposite. I am good enough. And then how we speak to our subconscious mind is using emotion and imagery. And that is contained for us within looking at memories, pieces of proof or evidence. So if I say I'm good enough because I have this experience or this reward or award or whatever it might be, right? We look at those things. And when we think of that thing, if you could almost like watch your mind in slow motion, let's say I'm like, oh, cause I have this education then I think of that and maybe I think of myself graduating and walking across the, the stage, whatever it might be, I have an imagery, an image, right, from the memory and every single memory contains emotion. So we, we, if I said to you right now, okay, close your eyes and tell me your favorite happiest childhood memory, you would do it and you'd smile probably. Like you would, you would sort of go through that whole process. If, I, if you actually started talking about it, you would see your body language would change. You'd get a little smile. You'd sort of recall the memory because all memory is the container of emotion. So what we can do is we, we go, I'm not good enough. Okay, I am good enough. And we just list out 10 to 15 pieces of evidence on a daily basis for why, because the subconscious also gets that reprogramming through repetition. And if you can do it while you're in a relaxed state, you're also a little more suggestible. Um, so it can kind of permeate the subconscious more. And if you do that for 21 days, you will see yourself wipe out beliefs like in full. Mm. And so, so you suggest writing them down or do you, and just the imagery is in your mind for your memory, or do you even, you know, attach photos to that? Or is it, you know, some people I'm sure use, you know, software where maybe stuff flashes up or do you, what are your thoughts on any of that? Or are you just trying to keep it as simple as possible? Yeah, it's perfect. It's a great question. So, so you sort of would say you think I'm good enough because you pick the one piece of proof, you could write it down and then close your eyes and really feel about it. Really like think of that memory, think of that piece of evidence, feel about it. And what you're actually doing in that process there is you're thinking from your conscious mind, you're thinking intentional thoughts that are actually speaking to your subconscious mind, which is where that painful belief exists. And over time, that repetition of doing that daily literally reprograms. And like, I've seen the craziest stuff just from, from people doing this work where like, 
they were terrified of like talking to women and they couldn't even like go near a woman. And then like 21 days later, they're like talking to anybody and they feel so comfortable or people, you know, that would be like, I am rejected core wound. They overcome or reprogrammed people who are feeling like I can never go to a job interview without failing miserably. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. These big beliefs going into job interviews in 21 days, feeling relaxed. Like if, if people really show up and do that, literally that's it. 21 days, 10 to 15 pieces of evidence. You start wiping out beliefs and what you're doing from a neuroplastic perspective is you're firing and wiring new neural pathways as these old ones atrophy over time because our brain sort of works in that way like muscles just atrophies if we're not using them and as we create new ones and fire and wire and strengthen those we're actually creating changes at the neuroplastic level for ourselves so for those people you know they've had a great reaction or great result really in in that 21 days what would you suggest at that point you know, in terms of if someone, because I know people get a little bit of results, some will go, oh, I've got a little result. I'm going to push on and do more things. And others think, oh, I've got the result. I'm going to just, you know, down tools and just kind of go, not go back to my old ways, but just stop really. And what are kind of the, almost like the pitfalls of once you've gone through, if you do go through that sort of 21 day process, what kind of your options there and what can happen realistically? Yeah, great question. So, so you know, we are always, there's this sort of quote that I like and it says, there are no idle thoughts. And the idea is that we're always kind of being programmed one way or another. Anything we are repeatedly exposed to for mm. long periods of time is having an impact on us. And that's why it's so important when we like choose our friends and choose our partners and all these different things because that stuff really impacts our brain to a certain degree. So, so you know, when we are doing that, we, see, we start to see the results you know, I would always say to somebody, okay, go into the next major core belief you want to break through. And then when you've done a lot of work, like I had this lady yesterday, two days ago in a webinar, show up and say, I have no core wounds left. Like I've reprogrammed all my core beliefs. And like, I'm dealing with things from like a very neutral standpoint in life. Like I don't get triggered in the same way. And like, that's the work. That's what I did to heal from addiction. It was like reprogram the root problem first. And then I have no need to take painkillers to numb the pain because it's these wounds causing the pain all the time in the first place. So it's very profound when we, when we really do that work. Um, so you can keep moving on to new core beliefs but when you get to this place where you're like okay i'm feeling pretty neutral like you're still a human like things are going to affect you yeah. but but you're not affected from like it's very very personal like taking everything so personally and it's so much bigger than it needs to be and so um so when we do that work then i just always recommend to people it's like you going to the gym like you're not going to go to the gym be your best self and all of a sudden be like, great, I achieved it. So now I'm going to eat donuts and give up. Like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Then we always want to have some kind of maintenance and it's just good to have like a, a weekly reprogramming activity where you go back through anything that's sort of coming up and just keep giving that piece, those pieces of evidence. And it's important that we're mindful of how we speak to ourselves in our internal dialogue throughout the day, because it really reprograms us as well. So if we say, I'm going to work on, I'm not good enough. And we do all that work in the morning or evening as a routine, we do the auto suggestion. And then all of a sudden all day long, we're like beating ourselves up for stuff. Well, you're going to really slow down the process and start to counteract it. So be mindful of your environment, be mindful of the way you talk to yourself, be absolutely mindful. The thing that human beings do all the time that drives me nuts is I drive myself nuts about it, thinking about it. <laughs> but, but is that people will like, well, let's say for example, somebody does, you're dating somebody, they don't call you back. And, and then you go, oh, well, it's because I'm unlovable. It's because I'm unworthy. It's because, and it's like, why are we letting other people's actions define our character and define our worth? It's, it's not logical at its core. Like it doesn't really make any sense. And it's showing you where you have work to do on your core beliefs. So what I always tell people as well is like, be mindful and try to recognize when something doesn't go your way 
what the meaning is that you're giving to that situation because that meaning that we constantly give, it's not situations causing us pain and suffering. If it was, we would all react the exact same way to every situation. So it's not the situation, it's the meaning we are giving to the situation. And those are our internal programs and patterns that we really need to work on repairing. And as we do that, we really like take all this time and energy we spend beating ourselves up or putting ourselves down and we can put it into creativity, into expanding ourselves, reaching our goals, putting good strategies together. Like we just get so much mindset clarity and energy back as well. Yeah. And talking about, you know, putting it into creative energy. I mean, how long has the personal development school been a thing? When did you found that? And, and then obviously you've written a book, Attachment Theory, and you obviously you did the master's. So you're going on quite an academic route. Talk to us about, you know, when you created that, that journey as well, personally. Yeah. So, um, so I ran a client-based practice first for about seven years and then, um, we, we launched a school October, 2019. So only like a year and four months ago, five yeah. months ago. Yeah. Um, but, um, we've been so blessed. Like we have almost 6,000 students, um, who are like wow. active members. Yeah. We had a lot of people jump in there really quick. Um, and, and then I wrote the book actually at the same time as the school launched, I had a contract and it was like, a very quick turnaround and it just happened all at the same time. So that was also October, 2019, which is a very stressful <laughs> experience, but I'm glad I got through it. Um, but well, a good uh, thing you did that before then the rest of the world kind of shut down a little bit. You got this ahead of that. Oh my gosh. Oh my so lucky for that. And I think that's part of why our school grew so much as well. But I, I um, put daily content out for free on YouTube and we sort of built a channel and then everybody sort of came in through there as soon as we opened the doors. So um, yeah, so we've got about 40 different courses in there. I add a new one every month. We do four live um, weekly webinars. I do them with all the members. The students come in in this big sort of webinar style format. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in there for sure. Very, very cool. And we're going to move into the alpha round now. And you did mention a quote just, uh, just recently, but I wonder, is there a, it could be that one. Is there a quote that sums up your approach to life or just an all-time favorite quote, the sort of one you might have up in your office somewhere? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I wouldn't say this sums up my approach to life, but this is my favorite quote that I just love um, is he who hates evil only creates another one. And it's this idea that like we do this thing in life and it's so backwards. We, we look at things and we judge them. And then we create more of what we don't like by creating that judgment. Or we go, oh, I can't believe this person did this. And the, the thing that's most important about that for us to recognize is that we just give our energy to nothing. Like, why are we doing that? Like, we're, or we're giving our energy to the thing that we don't like. And so I like this idea of like the things that we get triggered about, stop judging those outside things and start looking at like, what in me is affected by this? It needs healing, that needs reparation, that needs some attention. Or what am I afraid of here in this situation? And do that inner work. And so that's been a powerful guide for me for sure awesome. and apart from your own book obviously what has been a really impactful book for you either you again read it at the right time or it is just your all-time favorite book all-time favorite book um i would say it's hard to say between three but i would say um um a thousand names for joy by byron katie it's all about questioning our thinking because we have a lot of like beliefs and, and thoughts going on in there that take a lot of our energy. Um, and that's like, I, I just think the more we work on like reprogramming, being aware of how our thinking affects us, we can really show up and focus our attention on the things that we want to do instead of always being pulled back by all these unnecessary thought patterns. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to resources, is, are there any other specific resources to what we've been talking about type reprogramming or personal development resources? or just something you use in your, in your business that you think is a really cool tool that's out there, or you may just, it might be a quite a regular tool, but you use it in a specific way, anything that springs to mind. And a lot of times, you know, if, if there isn't, then that, that's fine also. 
And would this be something um, to explain to somebody right now if they were? Or, it could be, or yeah, it could be a, well, it could be, it, yeah, it could be either a little resource that, you know, something's, you know, piece of software or it could be, or it could be, a, you know, an, a, a tool to you. So you could explain it to them, whatever kind of sits well with you, jumps to the kind of top of your mind. Yeah, I, I honestly just have so many. So I'm like, yeah. okay, this is what I focus on is like creating tools and all these different things. So um, if anybody is interested, I have like 21 different um, reprogramming tools that are free on YouTube. I put them out there in different videos. Um, but I would say like just a really easy thing to use throughout your day. I'm really into biohacking and all that stuff too, but I would say a really easy thing to use throughout your day is just in neurolinguistic programming, it's called a pattern interruption. And it's this idea that we sort of have these subconscious autopilot thoughts. And maybe we notice ourselves doing that. Like we're driving home from work and we're like, oh, I did this wrong. I, I effed up here. Oh, I'm, I can't believe I made that mistake. I'm an idiot. Like, and if we catch ourselves going down those painful patterns of thought, because those thoughts program us. Repeated stuff over time mm -hmm. creates this program still. So if we catch ourselves doing that, we can say cancel, cancel. You can realize cancel, cancel, just a pattern <laughs> interruption. And then cognitively reframe the opposite. And it actually equilibrates and kind of like counterbalances that little bit of programming we're doing to ourselves in autopilot and sort of redirects it in a healthier form. So. And from your network, having gone through the bulk of the interview now, is there anyone who you think actually when I think awaken your alpha, they would be a great guest for this show. And it could, it could be from your network. And if you, another one springs to mind, it could be who would be your ideal guest that you would want to tune in and listen to. Oh, for my network, I have a great person. Um, so um, this is a business partner of mine on a couple of different projects as well. Um, his name is Giovanni Bartolomeo and he is a breathwork coach and he, oh. um, we're just about to launch, um, an online version of personal development school, but in breathwork tracks and reprogramming sort of audios and stuff. Yeah. So he, and he does like, he's so amazing. He does all the Wim Hof stuff. Yeah, um, I was going to say, it's a so Wim Hof. <laughs> I love all that. He stuff. literally, yeah. And he does all these, um, he like goes in Lake Ontario here, which is friggin' freezing. Yeah. And in the middle of winter, like once a week, he cuts a hole in the ice and goes in it and just like goes in the lake and, and does the cold exposure stuff, which I think is like out of this world. He's made me do a couple things similar and, and not easy, not easy stuff. But um, oh, yeah, yeah, I that's need to talk I that, <laughs> I will that'd connect you for sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, and you mentioned you've got some resources as well, and the sort of 21 uh, from your YouTube channel. I just wanted, if people want to continue the conversation, what is the best way to follow up with you and connect with you? Um, yeah. So um, in terms of YouTube, I put daily free content on there. It's just personal development school dash Thais Gibson. And then on um, um, the actual website is www.personaldevelopmentschool.com. And the Instagram handle is also at personaldevelopment underscore school. Awesome. And we've put all of that in the show notes. Well, Thais, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for having me. This is lots of fun. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. This episode is sponsored by the Talk Accelerator. Increase your influence, income, and impact. If you've ever thought or dreamed or wondered what it would be like to do a TEDx talk, you can do that. So head over to talkxcelerator.com forward slash masterclass and you can get this completely free training masterclass on how to become a TEDx speaker and thought leader without desperately chasing and wasting your time on the wrong opportunities. It really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. All right, have a great week. Amplify your message and amplify your mission. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review.
It'll help get him off my back. <laughs>